0: talk today about who is God. There's, there's so much that is going on in our world today and so many questions that people have about God and how to get to God and how many ways are there to get to God, all that stuff. But somewhere down deep, we end up asking just the, the core question, I think. Even those who are believers at times Depending on the situation, I think end up stopping and asking themselves, who is God? Because finding out who is God is is really us understanding his character. It's understanding who he really is. Not only what he does, but but really who is God? Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5. Man, it has this list of these great names, and I worked hard all week. I'm just telling y'all. I actually found a thing that would pronounce you know, all these names, and I worked really hard at it. So if, uh, if you decide to go online and figure out whether I pronounce any of these right, I just want to tell you this. They're all dead, and they don't care. <laughs> all right? We'll just get that out of the way. But I'm going to give it a valiant attempt anyway. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. He, he goes really quickly in this one, this is, this is the one verse that we're going to use today. Y'all know me, I, I normally will flood you with, with verses because uh, it really doesn't matter a whole lot what my opinion is on stuff and all, it really matters what God's word says because he's already spoken for himself. Um, and, but we're going to pull a lot of things out of the word, but this is going to be the one scripture that we use uh, in detail today. But I, I want you to catch that when, when these Levites stood up, there was a group of them. It wasn't one guy. There wasn't. It wasn't the pastor, but there was a group of ministerial leaders that make up the Levites, and these guys all stood up together, and they communicated a message. And they don't even give an indication because the first thing that they say is to the people, and then they immediately swap to talking to God without giving you any warning. They look at the people, and they say, stand up. If you wonder why we ask you to stand up during... A you know, during during uh, music or whatever, you know, or it's, it's just it. You just work on a respect thing. You can stand up in your heart if you phys- physically not hey, older folks, whatever. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. He looks at the people and he says, in other words, he says, get yourself focused, get your attention, get get where. What do we say to people? We say you need to stand at attention. And so they looked at the people and he said, look. Get your hearts and your minds centered and get them right. That really ought to be the call that we as a body of believers say to each other every time we come together. Is hey, stand up, pay attention, and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. And they immediately switch to speaking to God, and they say, blessed be your glorious name. Why? Because it is exalted Above all blessing and praise. Doesn't matter what we could do in blessing and giving you praise. Your name, your glorious name is exalted above that. We could give everything that we have. Every amount of blessing. Every amount of glory. Every amount of praise. But your name, your glorious name is still exalted above all of that that we could give. If we just for one moment would grasp what that's saying about who is God. Who is God. God is there there are people that you know you like to hear your name most people do. Now I know some folks they they choose to go by their first name or they choose to go by their middle name and they don't like one of the names that their parents gave them or whatever but most people even psychologists say most people when you're in a conversation if you will repeat someone's name multiple times it puts them in a good mood because people like to hear their name. They want you to they want you to stop and say Wendy, you know, it is so important to me that you're giving me that feedback because, you know, I, I often think about, you know what, Wendy pays a lot of attention to the, oh, see, boy, that was good, wasn't it? That was, that was good right there, you know. You're just starting to work. People like to hear their names, but, but oftentimes we don't think much about names, right? It's one of our cultural problems is that we, uh, most of our names have some meaning. They have some root meaning, and most of us don't know what it is. And you know, if you don't know, you need to at some point today, you know, just Google it, search it, do whatever you got to, ask Siri, ask, you know, Samsung or whatever you've got. And and ask it, hey, what does my name mean? But you've got to tell it your name. You can't just say, what does my name mean? It needs to know your name. Okay? That is that's just a that's just some technical help I'm giving everybody this morning. But here's the thing. In the culture when this When this particular uh, scripture was written, even all the way up until Jesus' time, names carried an important meaning in both the Old Testament and the New Testament culture. Here's an important thing for you to grasp names were not only identification, but they were also identity. They carried not only that it identified, well, that's Jason Free, all right, that's identification. But if I said, Jason Free, what does that mean when it comes to identity? Now, if I was speaking to Lil C, as I call little Caleb, because I got big C floating, floating right here. So I, I, always, I always tell Caleb Free, I say, you know, hey, what's up, Lil C? And so he's, he figured out his nickname now. Now, if I ask him and I say, Lil C, who is Jason Free? Now, that identified someone to him, but then it would express identity to him because what would he say? That's my dad. Okay? So Jason Free identified you from other people, from other men in this church, but to him it also conveyed an identity. He is someone in relationship to me. There is a relationship of, he is my dad. That's something that is important for us when we ask the question who is God? Now, if anybody can read this, (laughs) This is actually, this is four letters. This is four letters that make up the name that God was identified by most in the Old Testament. This is the four letters that are in this illustration. Now, on the top is the way that we would read. We read left to right, so Y-H-W-H. And that was the uh, uh, English equivalent of what's called a Hebrew tetragrammaton. It just means four letters. It just means there's four letters, okay? Now we pronounce that in our English language, we pronounce that Yahweh. There's actually no true knowledge anywhere in the world of what those four letters and how that God revealed himself through the Old Testament. There is no true known knowledge standard of how that's supposed to be pronounced. We don't know because the, the, uh, the Hebrew language has no consonants in it. So we don't get certain things. So, But Hebrew writing goes from right to left where we read left to right. So you got to flip the letters around so it'd be H-W-H-Y, but they would read it from the right given the same thing we do, Y-H-W-H. Just so you can know, it, the Paleo Hebrew is what that, below that. That's what it actually would have looked like when it was written in the Old Testament. Here's an interesting thing. Each one of those letters carries some meanings, and they've been distilled down. (laughs) Man, this is just good. They've been distilled down to mean these, that the first letter actually means hand. The H, behold. Nail, behold. Hand, behold, behold. Nail, behold, Yahweh. Now, here's an, here's an interesting thing about that term, Yahweh. That is, in the, in the, uh, the time when these guys were writing, these scholars were writing out the, uh, the actual Old Testament, although they wouldn't necessarily have thought of it as the Old Testament. But when they started transcribing, you had two things that were done you would have what was written, but you would have what was spoken because they had such reverence for the name of God that they would not attempt to speak the formal name of God. So they would write it, and this is where if you've you've been in church for a while you've heard people talk about the the scribes, when they came to the formal name of God that they would take, they would do away with that quill, they would get up and wash themselves, they would get a new quill and, and and, and move on because it was just such a respect thing. So the YHWH, or Yahweh, the Lord, was what was written. But then, that's consonants only, Uh, but then the vowel side, I should correct myself, I said it didn't have any consonants, it didn't have any vowels. Then when they took and they added the vowels in, which weren't normally there, then they created the word Adonai. And so they would speak Adonai, but they would write Yahweh. Okay? Okay. So then when you get down here onto the bottom, the Y-H-W-H, and they combined in some of the vowels out of Adonai, this is where we get Jehovah, or Jehovah. The J is not pronounced as a J, and it would be pronounced as a Y. So we get the combination of the consonants and the vowels that gives us Jehovah. So there's your free lesson of the day of getting from Y-H-W-H over to Adonai, over to Jehovah that we know today. All right, so now that you got the the classroom portion of today's message out of the way, the question still remains, but who is God? Okay, so you told me, and now I understand why you guys maybe will sometimes use the term Yahweh, or maybe i hear people sing, Adonai, I lift up my hands. You know, y'all have heard that song. It's a great song. But then, you know, Jehovah-Jireh, so now you got Jehovah in here. where did all that stuff come from? Now you know. So if you ever end up on, you know, in some great biblical trivial pursuit game, <laughs> right? Because you know that happens every weekend. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Or if Alex Trebek ever asks you that question, you'll know the answer. Feel free to share your winnings with the church. I'm just kidding. Who is God? Okay, you've told me to stand up and to glorify Him that His name is lifted above. That's that one key verse. The the one other verse in this is Exodus chapter 34, 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud, speaking of Him being there with Moses, and He stood with him there, and He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Listen to this. God descended in a cloud to Moses and then proclaimed His own name. And here's where we've missed out. Because then the next few verses actually tell us what the name was that he proclaimed. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. What did he just say that he had proclaimed? He said he proclaimed the name of the Lord. He says, so he passed before him and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now some of this is a a tough explanation of who God is. Because if you just read it and you take it face value and don't study it out, then you'll start thinking, man, the tail end of that verse is kind of rough. It talks about visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. You hang in there with me. We're going to get to that. So here are some things that God says, here's who I am because this is my name. My name carries meaning about my identity. And God himself descended with Moses and stands there and proclaims his name. And here's who he says. He says, I am merciful. He says, I am gracious. My name is slow to anger. My name is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It says, My name, it keeps steadfast love for thousands. My name forgives iniquity. It is the one who forgives transgression. I am the one who forgives sin. My name and my identity is, I'm the one who will not clear the guilty. You will be accountable. This one's a tough one. It says, my name also is that I see families that are impacted by ongoing sins. As I was reading this, it made me realize that one of the the things that we struggle with the most, I'm going to get you to that here in just a second. One of the things that we struggle with when we read a verse that says that he's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers onto the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation what what we get a picture of is we go wait a minute you're saying that if a father sins and does something wrong then God's going to hold his children accountable for it and his children's children and all that stuff that's not that's not exactly what God is trying to convey. It's he's conveying a very real life reality. How many of you and I, I've heard some of you even uh, some of our men in us talking, you've shared some things about your family history. How many of you know someone who maybe they're an alcoholic, their father was an alcoholic, their grandfather was an alcoholic, their great-grandfather was an alcoholic. See, the, the sins of one tend to, because it is the example that is set, because it is what someone is taught, the sins of one tend to carry over into the life of the next one. It's one of the reasons why it's so important that we are setting the right examples, not only for our children, but if we don't have children, that we're setting that example as a body of believers for each other's children. Even that we're setting it for young adults. Even that if we're much older, that we are setting the right example for young couples getting married. If we're setting the right example for those who are experiencing whatever in life, because we tend to learn from those who are around us and in our families, we tend to especially learn from those who we trust the most. We trust our mom. We trust our dad, maybe. And so often the sins of the father become the sins of the son. We hear people talk about... This is where most people get... uh, One of the places where people get the reference to a generational curse. That it, it seems to carry on through a family. Now I will tell you then that the other side also often happens. Um... As as much as I always said that I would I would not be a pastor, God would have to call me to pastor. I had no desire to pastor. But then I look and go, Well, my dad, you know, was a pastor. Well, my grandfather, you know, was a pastor. Some things pass from generation to generation, but God is the one who can break cycles. God is the one who can, because when, when we, we can't get to that last one and focus on it without stepping back and seeing one two two steps back from that where he says, but God is the one who forgives iniquity. But God is the one who forgives transgression. Because while your daddy may have been the one that did it, And while your granddaddy may have been the one that set the example for you, if you come to God with that sin in your life and say, God, I need to be set free. I need these chains to be broken off of me. And I no longer need to have this thing in my... I'm no longer a slave to fear that I'm going to be my father. I'm no longer a slave to fear that I'm going to be my grandfather and I'm going to be what anybody else has said about me because God's name is I am one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So what are, particularly in the Old Testament, what are the names of God? We're going to spend our next little time and all we're going to do is walk through the names of God. Because here's what I want you to understand. When you stop and you ask the question, who is God? Then God says, I inspired my word, the Bible, to be written. And so therefore, when my word refers to me in some capacity, I'm the one who inspired that name to be written about me. You know, if I describe myself, I, I, you know, when I introduce myself to people, the first thing I say to people is not... I'm a pastor. That's normally one of the last things that I ever get around. In fact, sometimes I don't even tell that. It's not because I don't love y'all or anything. But, you know, I, I'm gonna be honest. I I'm I'm gonna identify myself, you know. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a father of two. I've been married for 24 years. So I would tell people, hey, I'm a I'm a father of two. Got a wonderful son, it's fixing to be 17, born on my birthday, best birthday present I ever had. High five son. Um Got a daughter that's 24, living in Pennsylvania, proud of she's going to be here in less than 10 days. We're excited. Her mama's excited. We're all fired up. Hey, you know, I, I've been married for 24 years. Got a wonderful wife. I go through all this stuff identifying who I am. Yeah, hey, I'm the son of this. This is my mom, and this is my dad. You, you're going you're gonna to identify all of these things about yourself. You're already, you're, you're, you probably ran through your mind real quick. You started thinking about, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, whatever it is that you are. You know, I'm everybody's cook and bottle washer and laundry person. And all the ladies started going through all that stuff. And all the guys were going, oh, I only got like three. Uh, <laughs> okay, I better move on before I get in trouble. Um, but God then lays out and says, here is who I am. The question, who is God, is important because of your circumstances. See, it's so interesting to me that God has this long list of names that he uses that that give his identity. Because in different situations, you need him to be something different. And so, here is who God says he is. God says seven times, I am El Shaddai. It means I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the all-sufficient one. No matter what your need is, the most overarching name I feel outside of him just calling himself God that we'll see, but is I am the Lord God Almighty. I'm not limited in my power. I'm not limited in my strength. I'm not limited in my ability to impact your life because I and the Lord God Almighty. 28 times he says, I am El Elyon. I am the most high God. Although you may identify other people saying there are other gods, he says, I want to tell you who I am. I am the most high God. Doesn't matter about any of these idols or things that people proclaim to end up being a God in their lives. He says, I am El Elyon. I am the most high God. God. Then, one that we already saw, he actually describes himself as Adonai, which simply means, I am your Lord. I'm in charge. I am the master of your life. And he lists that 434 times. Then we find this one that stands out so much that we looked at in these four letters. He says, I am Yahweh, which simply means, Again, Lord, remember we said it's written Yahweh, it's spoken, then Adonai, but it means the same thing. It means I am your Lord. The Greek word then that was translated over into the New Testament was Kyrios, which again means Lord and Master. 6,519 times he says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Now I want you to understand something. We really don't find God describing himself very often as being Savior. (laughs) You You just stay with me. We really don't find him describing himself very often as being Savior. But we find that where he most identifies himself is I want to be the Lord of your life. I want to be the one that when I have laid out the path that you will follow it. I mean, remember, we, let's, let's pick up what Jesus says. I often refer to this. Is Jesus talks about, says, if any man would be my disciple, and what does he have to do? Deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow him. That sounds like he's saying, wait a minute, be my disciple. Who do you follow as a disciple? And just the, the basic sense of, if you want to be somebody's disciple, what position do you put them in? They're my master. They're my teacher. They're my instructor. I want to be like them. I don't don't get to do what we tend to do today where I say, well, you know what? I kind of want to be like God, but I really don't want Him to be able to tell me what to do in my life, right? I just want to kind of pick up some of His attributes, you know? Hey, we got some guys that play football on different teams in here now, and, you know, it'd be great if you said, man, I want to be like Cam Newton. That's a shout-out for you right there. I wanna be like Cam Newton. Well then you're gonna to have to work like Cam Newton, Bubba. Right? Well, hey, you know, I wanna I wanna be like I wanna be a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Well then you're gonna to have to do what Aaron Rodgers does. You're not gonna be able to I I listen to these songs now that you know what I'm doing this exercise stuff in the morning. And I listen to all this uh this I'm 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 just gonna go ahead and break the news to you. I'm sorry. I listen to this Christian hip hop stuff when I'm at because I mean I can't be listening to, you know, I can't be listening to Amazing Grace played on the pipe organ and you on the elliptical. It don't work, guys. I'm telling you. I'll just lay down and go to sleep. Well, this, this one guy, man, he's, just, he's laying it down in this song, you know, so I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing, I'm, I'm, and I'm sweating. And he says, why are you talking about work when you're asking where the couch is? And I was like, "Woo!" There's a spiritual lesson in that. Why are you saying you want to be a disciple when you're not willing to let God be Lord? Oh, no, I want to be God's disciple. I want God to be in control. No, what you want is you want the benefits of being a disciple, but you don't want the discipline of being a disciple. No, you're going to tell me i got to do these things. How come I can't just get the free benefit without having to change? Well, then he wants to be Yahweh. That's who he is. He wants to be your Lord. Then he starts through the Jehovah names. Boy, I like these. But they're only like one in two times mentioned in the Bible, by the way. Lord was 6,519. And then he got to add, I am, which almost gets you to 7,000. Jehovah Nisi says, The Lord is my banner or the Lord is my miracle. It's mentioned one time in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. I'm going to be honest with you. There's been some times when people have faced things in their life, and yes, they needed God to be Lord because they were following Him and all that, but they needed God to be Jehovah Nisi. They said, God, I need you to be my miracle. God, I need you to be the banner that I can wave so that everybody can see and I can say, look what the Lord has done. Look what God has done in my life. He has been Jehovah Nisi in my life. Because I didn't see how this was going to happen. I didn't see a clear path to it. I didn't see any way I could fix it. But God came through and seemingly worked a miracle in my life. Well, that's not just, well, God did a miracle. That is God being Jehovah Nissi in your life. Then he said, I am Jehovah Ra'ah, which means the Lord my shepherd. It's mentioned four times. Specifically, it's mentioned first in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what a a shepherd is. A shepherd is one who makes sure. Think about it, guys, when we go, oh, you know, the Lord, the chief shepherd, he's, you know, the door and all that stuff, when we do this shepherd stuff. We talked about that last week. You know, in the in the idea of the prodigal son, about the shepherd that goes and brings him back on his shoulders. But think about what a shepherd does. He ensures that you get to the place where you get fed. He ensures that you get to the place where you get water to be sustained. And by the way, I could just go in the whole thing about uh, what water symbolizes in in the Word, but that's another message. He gets you to where you're fed and where you get water. He protects you from those that would come and attack you. And remember Jesus said in in John chapter 10, He said, the good shepherd is the one that lays down his life for the sheep. So when you read about Jehovah and he is your shepherd. It's not that you can say, oh, isn't that a great image? You know, he's got his little crook staff out here standing in the field. You know, he's the shepherd. No, he's not your little trinket that you put up at Christmas outside, you know, your, your little stable and all that That's what no, we're talking about, guys. We're talking about a guy that had a staff that said, if a, if a wolf starts to come against, I'll chase it down. I'll flog the hide off of that wolf to get it out of here because I am the shepherd. I protect the sheep and I lay my life down for it. So when you start going through something, you're going, God, I feel defenseless. God, I feel I need you to be Jehovah Nissi because I need a miracle. But God, I need you to protect me. I need you to be Jehovah Ra'ah and be my shepherd. And, and let your, your, your protection be all around me. In the middle of all of that, he says, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. It's mentioned one time in Exodus chapter 15, 26. I think sometimes we, we begin to think about healing and we, we only think about physical ailment. We say, well, when somebody gets sick, when someone gets cancer, when someone... Uh, it, it, identify that they have some illness. Then, then we need God to be Jehovah Rapha and be the Lord that heals. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that have a lot of things that need healing. There's people that have financial situations. They need healing. And now I'm going to be honest, man. I, I, they they may have put themselves into that situation, and it's difficult to ask God to God just alleviate you know this massive debt that somebody's put themselves in. That's not what needs healing, by the way. What needs healing is whatever caused you to take those actions to get yourself in that position. What, what needs healing, I, I can tell you, man, you know, when, because uh, I'm very transparent with you guys about this, hey, four weeks ago, you know, when I started working hard on saying, all right, got to cut weight, you know, 10 pounds or so down now, but you got, I got to cut weight. Man, I couldn't pray and say, God, why don't you heal me of this, this weight condition, right? <laughs> God, I need you to just cause it to disappear. Be my miracle, you know? Be my miracle. Be my shepherd. You know, get that stuff going. No, that's not what, because that wasn't what I needed to be healed of. What I needed to be healed of was the laziness that let me say, oh, but I work a desk job where I have to sit all the time and didn't get up and say, I need to go do some exercise. I need to go. I can't control necessarily what's in the job. See, those are the things we need to heal of. But we pray and ask God to heal us of the symptom and not the cause. There's people that need to be, their marriage needs to be healed. And it's not that God just needs to all of a sudden make them get along, He needs to heal the situations of why the two of them got such bad problems. There's healing that needs to occur in relationships with family members. There's people that haven't spoken for years. There's people that haven't, whatever things, something happened. There's there's people that have been in church with each other for 20 years and then have some fallen out and it's been 10 years and they haven't even, even broached a word with each other. Why? There's something that needs to be healed and it wasn't even necessarily that particular situation. We need him to be Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. For a lot of people, They need him to be Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Man, I'll be the first one to say that, yes, I have experienced moments where I stopped and said, God, where are you? I I know you're here because your word tells me that, but but God, I don't feel it. I, I don't sense it. It's not... In what I'm going through and where my mindset is, God, I'm struggling. But He speaks and says, Who I am is Jehovah Shema. I am there. Man, if you're going through something today and you're saying, I don't understand it, it seems like God is a million miles away. He's already said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll stick closer to you than a brother. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he's going to be there with you. But when we feel like, oh, you need to remember and say, God, I need you to be Jehovah Shammah. I know that you're here, but God, I need you to be very real in that to me. Be Jehovah Shammah because you are the Lord who is there. Two times he describes himself as Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness And I will look and I will see something that I'm doing. I will see something that has been in my life. I will see a struggle that God is working out of me and that He is working to perfect into being holy in in Him. But then I have to be thankful because I look and I realize, man, uh, sometimes I'm just tripping over myself spiritually and and trying to mature. But yet He is our righteousness. It's not what I do. It's, the Bible tells us, it reminds us that our righteousness is his filthy rags before him. I'm thankful that he doesn't look at me to see my righteousness because I laid all that stuff down. And we sing that song, he became sin who knew no sin. Why? It's direct scripture. He became sin who knew no sin. Why? That we might become his righteousness. but we have to let him be Jehovah Canoe in our lives, the Lord our righteousness. Then, in that process of him being our righteousness, he becomes Jehovah Mekodeshem, the Lord who sanctifies you, the Lord who makes holy. Man, I think if, if we could ever get our heads wrapped around that we're not trying to perform for God, because you can't earn it anyway, right? Salvation is not something that you can earn through your good works. It's never something that you can achieve because of how good you do or how long it is that you do it. It is simply our our good works are simply a response to the fact that He does extend salvation to us. We respond out of salvation into doing things that are good works, which His Word says that He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But it is only Him, who sanctifies us, is the Lord who makes holy. Man, when I stop and I examine my life and I see those things that I just said, if I'm tripping over and I'm struggling through and I'm working my way past, and then I realize, God, it is not up to me. Because look, when we're honest and we look in ourselves, we look and go, I can't do this. Some things, let's be honest, some things we're good at stopping. There are some people that if there's something going on in their life, they can identify and they can stop it. But then there are other things that it is almost they find an impossibility to control it in and of themselves. Guess what? You're not alone. We all have these areas in our lives. Sometimes they're they're large. Sometimes they're they're glaring at us. Sometimes they're going to be something that's going to come in the future because we haven't faced the right situation that's made that show up yet. But here's the thing to know. It is not in our ability to control, it is in us submitting to God, the Lord who sanctifies us and who makes us holy. Then he goes into two that are very close in nature and in, in, in what they sound like. Elolam is the everlasting God. So see when you hear people sing, You are the everlasting God. Hey, it's just, it's just Scripture. It's Old Testament Scripture put in our definition. He is the everlasting God, the God of eternity, the God of the universe, the God of ancient days. Three times he describes himself as that. But here's one that's very close. Elohim. He simply says over 2,000 times, I am God. Nobody else. No other one. This isn't the comparison one where he said, I'm the most high God. He simply says, I am Elohim. I am God. I thought this next one was very interesting. He says, I am Kanah. I am jealous or zealous. It relates to marriage. And it's a desire that he wants to have us to himself alone. Now, let me talk to the guys for a minute. Let's be honest. I looked at you. You're not a guy. I gotta look <laughs> at the guys over here. I'm all scanning the crowd. You know, work crowd. Guys, we we tend we always say we tend to say that women are you know jealous. I'm just being honest here today, right? But look, guys, we're, we're the ones. Hey, I want I want her from myself. I want nobody else around. I mean my wife always tells me, she'll, you know, she'll tell me like she'll say, hey, now it's just these older ladies and I'm really okay with you hugging. <laughs> right? You know. You gotta side hug everybody else, you know. But some of Miss Pat, you know, I'm not trying to I just said older. I didn't say, you know. And and she'll be like, now that's the only ones that I'm okay with. And then Miss Pat, you know, she'll give me a kiss on the cheek, you know. She'll kinda of, she'll all right, okay, all right, it was Miss Pat. <laughs> right? Why? Because when we commit to someone, we want them to be committed to us, right? Mm, mm, see, everybody. Oh, see, some of y'all, y'all. Oh, I don't. I don't know that I want. I don't know I want to respond to that because you know what's coming next. See, God commits to us, and He simply wants us to Himself. He doesn't want to share us with somebody else. He doesn't want to share you with. And, and you hear me. You hear me out on this. He doesn't want to share you with your time split to your job. And with your focus split, honestly, we, even when, <laughs> remember we, we some weeks back we talked about where it said that, that if you don't almost seemingly hate everybody else because of your love for God, see, He wants you so devoted and committed to Him that it is above and beyond anything you have to anything else. Whether that is a possession, whether that is a person, whether that is a position, whether that is power, whatever it is, God is jealous for the relationship with you. Now, I kind of like that, I'll be honest. I mean, I I want my wife to want me just to herself. I don't want her to kind of be like, well, yeah, I don't care. I don't care if you, I don't want that. God doesn't want an open marriage with you. You hear me? God doesn't want to have some open. God's not a swinger. Just, Just laying it out there. God's not a swinger. He's saying, look, I want you committed to me because I am so committed to you that my son came and died for you. I made sure that you could have a relationship. I will sanctify you. I will make you holy. I'll be your Lord. I'll be your God. I'll be the most high God. I'll be all of these things. I simply want everything and every part of you. I love you so much. That I want to know everything about you. I want, I want full and total relationship with you. Amen. And he is jealous for that. Not in the way that we think of jealousy. See, we think of jealousy because God is holy and God is perfect, so his version of jealousy is not one that oh, that gets pouty and gets mad and, and gets we're all sulky and all that stuff. No, his jealousy is, I will do everything possible in order to draw you into this relationship with me. I will woo you. One time he describes himself as Jehovah-Jireh. I like Jehovah Jireh because I like that song. If y'all never not ever heard that song, we're going to do that sometime soon. Haley's going to have to learn that song. You know, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in my... Oh, yeah, you know that song. Oh. All of them songs. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I'm going to tell you. Man, there's been, there's been some times in my life when, when the economy went south, 07, 08, and, and every week the plant that I was running, that I I worked for an owner and a GM, and we were sitting there talking every week about we may have to shut this place down. 300 people. We may have to shut this place down. And I knew, I knew there weren't jobs open for my position. It didn't matter education. It didn't matter experience. They weren't there. I'm going to tell you what, man, I was asking for God to be Jehovah Jireh for me and 300 other people. Because, I hey, if it gets to me, that means it got all of them. And I, I mean, I was praying, God, I need you to provide. I need, you may have only mentioned this one time in Genesis twenty-two, fourteen, 14, but it was the time, it was the time when Abraham gets there and he's got Isaac and he says, God, I'm willing to lay down because you've asked me, oh, this is better than what somebody's gonna get. I, you have asked me to lay down the, the thing that you gave me the promise through. Because you said that my my son that was going to be where the promise came, and Abraham had already struggled with the, with the promise, because we didn't just have Isaac, we had Ishmael. All right, so he'd already struggled there. But he says, God, I'm not doing, I'm I'm not after any of that anymore. I, God, I am pursuing, but this is where you said you're going to do something in my life. Man, I was there. I was going, God, if you sent me to this job and you're providing for my family then how is it that we're talking about that we're going to have to shut this place down? God, I need you to be the one who provides the ram in the bush. I need it to be that you've called me to take what is most important, I thought. Oh, anyway, that'll preach. I need to take what I think is most important in trying to provide for my family, and you're asking me to lay it at your feet and say, God, I'm willing to give up this job if that means that I'm in your will and I'm trusting you. Oh. It wasn't taking my boy now, I'm just going to tell you, it wasn't taking my boy and having to go like Abraham did and lay him out on an altar and say, I'm fixing to kill him right here because you've told me to sacrifice him, but I'm going to believe that you're going to raise him up. I mean, that's that's some good faith and all that. But he said, I need you to be Jehovah Jireh. I am the one who when you're faced with giving up the most difficult thing and you don't know what you're going to do, that he says, I will provide. I don't know whether that ram just all of a sudden appeared. Woo, I've thought about this one before. I don't know whether that ram was there the whole time and he just didn't see it because he was so focused on that I've got Isaac, that I've got to put here. God, you're going to make me take my boy. God, you're going to make me take what you've given the promise through. You, you, I, I don't know why you would tell me that you sent me here and you provided my boy and now you're asking me to sacrifice the thing that you gave me. I don't know if he just overlooked that the ram was there. I don't know if the ram just appeared. All I know is, is that when he had done and God saw that he was willing to give up because he wasn't trusting in the thing that God had given. He was trusting in the God that gave. And God said, I've seen what you do. And he looks and there's a ram caught in the bush. He says, oh, He is Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who provides. Mm. One time in Judges chapter 6, 24, he says, I am Jehovah-Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. I can imagine that after he became Jehovah-Jireh at Abraham, he experienced (laughs) Jehovah-Shalom because he didn't have any peace up till. And then when God provided and he saw the ram boy, the peace just came over him. But remember, he had already told the servants down at the bottom of the mountain. He said, behold, the lad and I are going to go worship and then we're going to return. But he was trusting. I don't know how. I don't know how God's going to do this, but I'm trusting. And then Jehovah Shalom took over and the Lord became peace. Jehovah Sabaoth. I like this one being the last one. It occurs over 285 times. How about that? He only became the Lord of Peace one time. All, he only described himself that way one time, Judges 6.24. But over 285 times, he says, I am the Lord of hosts. I am the Lord of powers. Yeah, I'm the Lord of peace. But more importantly, I need you to know that I am the God. I'm not only almighty, but I have power. I am the Lord of Powers. I am the Lord of hosts. I have at my disposal a a mighty army that can act on your behalf. You can't see them. You might not realize they're there, but I am the Lord of hosts and I I can release them into your situation. I am the Lord of powers, and because I am almighty, then the power that I have is almighty. So, who is God? Who is God? And this is what I ended up with realizing God is who you need in the moment of your greatest need. God is who you need in the moment of your greatest need. Maybe. Your greatest need is that you need him to be El Shaddai, be the Lord God Almighty. Maybe you need him to be El Elyon, the Most High God. Maybe you need him to be Adonai, the Lord and Master. Maybe you need him to be Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, your banner or your miracle. Maybe you need him to be Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, your shepherd. Maybe today you need him to be Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Maybe you need him to be Jehovah Shammah, God, show me that you are there. Jehovah Sidkenu, God, I need you to be my righteousness. Jehovah Mekadesh Kim, the Lord who sanctifies you. Elolam, the everlasting God. Elohim, he just said, I'm God. Kana, the, the jealous or the zealous God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts and powers. I don't know who you need God to be. I don't have to know your situation. I guess I, I, I almost wish that one of these, you know, had, had been the God who knows. <laughs> you know, he but but we see him being omniscient and omnipresent, omnipotent. He's he's all knowing. He's all present. He's all powerful. As so I was working through this message this week, I thought, you know, God, how do you, how do you end up you know, with just going through a list of, of your names, of who you are? And I, I think really what I came down to was just a simple thing of saying, only you know, because you may not have told anybody, only you know who you're needing God to be right now. Only you know. You may, you may have the mask on that says, "Hey, everything's good, everything's okay." I mean, you know, I mean, there's some hiccups, but it, you know, it, uh, you just got that thing held up. God, somewhere back there, is saying, "I want to be the Lord God Almighty in your situation." So I want you to understand that I'm the Most High God. I can be the banner over you, your miracle that thing that you hold up and wave. You know, there's so much flap going on right now about the American flag um, and what America is or what America isn't and what does it stand for or not stand for. I'm so thankful that the banner that's flying over my heart, there's not any question about the song and how it was written or what it was written for or about. There's not any question about His kingdom And what it stands for. Or what it is. But his banner over me. We used to sing a song when I was a little kid. His banner over me is love. But God said. When being Jehovah Nisi. He said I am your banner. I'm the one that wants to fly above. The castle of your heart. And I'll be the miracle that you need. And I'm going to tell you what. Anybody that says. Well I've never seen a miracle. I want to tell you just look around in this room because any person that would raise their hand and say yes I once was lost amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see you know what you just saw I was dead in my trespasses and sins but I've now been but I've now been made alive in Christ you can look around this room and see men and women who were dead and who've been raised and given new life and raised to walk in newness of life because He was Jehovah Nisi. Your miracle. It's times I, I strayed off the path and he became Jehovah raah and became my shepherd. When he came and my heart was broken over my sin, because the Bible says that a broken heart and a contrite spirit he will in no wise cast out. And so when I came and I had that broken heart and that contrite spirit, he became Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. And he took and he put all those pieces of my life back together. And they didn't stay broken. I, you know, I, I I I enjoy when people talk about, you know, the mosaic of their life or whatever. I want, to, I want you to know this. Even with all the scars, even with all the stuff, but God makes you whole. God doesn't just super glue you back together. He regenerates you, which means it becomes like it was originally generated to be. Because He has brought salvation into my life and into many of your lives, then we can proclaim it is not through any work that I do, not of works lest any man should boast, but He is Jehovah's Seed Canoe. He is my righteousness. He has sanctified me. I'm thankful that it's not for a little while because He's the everlasting God. I'm thankful that even when I am in want and even when I am in need, the Lord will provide. And in that moment when I become distressed and I become anxious over my situation and I say, God, what am I going to do? Then the Lord becomes peace. And when I wonder how it's going to work out, He becomes the Lord of hosts and the Lord of powers. Let's pray.